0: you have lots of ups and downs you know all the cliches are true and um and it means that at the end of every week we always try and celebrate a success however small
1: hi welcome to the building a better future podcast stories from climate tech founders Hi, everybody. Welcome to this week's Building a Better Future, stories from climate tech founders. We are now halfway through our eight-week series, uh, where we're chatting to startup founders who are still very much in the trenches of those early years in business. We're exploring where their love for sustainability began, the journey to founding their company, and what challenges they faced in those first few years as a founder. As always, I hope you'll find these stories relatable, motivational and informative my name's cherry and i'm the founder of above and beyond recruitment our business partners with climate tech startups and we help them to develop their employer brand and grow and scale their product and engineering teams if this is your first time listening to the building a better future series then please go and check out our previous episodes Uh, we've had some great tales of a startup founded through a hackathon project Uh, We've heard about two co-founders who built a methane removal business as part of a venture builder program. And we've learned about how a nuclear energy degree helped two co-founders really shape their ESG platform. You can find the video recordings of these on my LinkedIn profile and over on our YouTube channel. We'll share a link to that in the comments for you. And there's also a podcast version for anyone who wants to listen to us on the go. Um, So go and check that out anywhere that you would get your podcasts. I think we're on ACAST, Spotify and Apple podcasts as well. Today, we are joined by Joe Hand, co-founder of Geeky, an employee engagement programme which helps companies achieve their net zero goals by educating and engaging their staff on sustainability. Launched in 2017, their programme is used by companies like Deloitte, NatWest, Oxford University, and Jo herself is a former BBC producer for BBC Money and Panorama and a former journalist for The Independent. She's also a trustee of various enterprises, one of which is a social enterprise to train vulnerable people in landscape gardening. So I'm thrilled to have Jo with us here today and really looking forward to learning more about her journey from television producer to sustainability specialist and social entrepreneur. So, Jo, welcome to the show.
0: Oh, thank you so much! It's really good to be here, and I love the stories that you've heard before—the methane one—that sounds really good. So there's there so is. many great innovations out there. We ju- we just need to prioritize them and make them bring them all to scale.
1: Exactly, exactly that. Yeah, that that was a great show, by the way. Yeah, with Louise, um, highly recommend it. What they're doing there is, like you said, yes, yeah, so innovative. Um, so I'd like to start, as we always do, by going back to the beginning. I mean, Joe, you had a whole other career um, in television and in journalism before starting Geeky but during that time and perhaps even before that were there any inklings in there of a passion for sustainability or for entrepreneurship and where where do you think that came from?
0: Yeah that's interesting the entrepreneurship I'd say probably less so but sustainability I've always loved nature I've always been you know I grew up when I was a kid I was you know we were quite outdoorsy family spent a lot of time you know outside out and about and doing sport and stuff so from that perspective i think i always had a a close connection with nature but it wasn't until um i started working in tv it was actually the first job i got in tv when i was in my mid-20s um i worked on a program for channel 4 called um deluge and i was a researcher and um and my job was to go and talk to people um and find out about that this this series was about floods Mm. and it was then for the first time i started really uh becoming aware of climate change actually and that it that it was you know that these extreme weather events were becoming more frequent and that the science was already starting to show that um you know we had real challenges ahead and then throughout my career in tv um it was it, it came up repeatedly so i remember making it we made a i, mean, I was lucky i made all sorts of really fantastic and uh, amazing you know pro- programs on all sorts of different fascinating topics and one, one of them was about um oh, i can't even remember what the theme of the program was but it took us to um vineyards in france where they were trying to uh, stop Uh, hailstorms damaging all of the the crop, all of the the vineyards, Um, and talking to some of the winemakers there, they were saying, look, we can't grow the grapes that we used to grow because the climate's changing. And I made made another film in Timbuktu in Mali, which again was absolutely fascinating. And there, the, the the desert was expanding, and the the climate was changing, and it was getting hotter. And you know, it was harder for the for the for the from a food production perspective. And I kept hearing kind of pockets of this playing out in different parts of the world. And and then um, the last uh, production I worked on actually was for Channel Four News, and it was all about carbon trading which is this um, uh, a market mechanism designed to encourage reduction of carbon emissions um, and I just found it absolutely fascinating and I'd already started to think I'm gonna I want I'd, I don't want to work in TV forever it's hugely pressured especially current affairs and news and and I didn't feel that it would be a very Stable lifestyle. Before. That wasn't the kind of lifestyle I wanted. Despite it was absolutely fantastic fun, I was very fortunate. But um, I was thinking, you know, something different would be good. And um, and interviewed um, this amazing guy called Paul Dickinson, who. Then subsequently became my boss, and I went to work for him at um, the Carbon Disclosure Project, which is a really pioneering, innovative charity which has been instrumental in making the business world think about their carbon impacts, um, and really has been quite. It's it's not a particularly well known organisation, particularly in the you know, within the general public. But it's been a real game changer in terms of making businesses much more aware of their impacts and encouraging them to actually measure them and, and and, and you know, take action to reduce their environmental impacts. So, that was the kind of trajectory. It was, you know, I kind of picked up bits along the way and then it all kind of came together and the timing was right. And that was, yeah, that was how I got into working full-time on environmental issues. And, It's just so fascinating. I mean, it's the the reason I do it, it's because I think it's the biggest challenge that is facing the world, not just humanity. And and we need to do something about it, but it is fascinating because it covers so many different areas. There's economics, there's politics, there's Mm -hmm. psychology, there's uh, science, you know, it it touches on so many different fascinating areas that, um, yeah, it's always stimulating if sometimes Uh, you know sometimes you can have dark days but yeah
1: yeah yeah. that's so interesting so that kind of drip feeds then throughout your your kind of career that early part of your career and all those different everywhere you went it was like a recurring theme of seeing it you know seeing climate change play out um, in in different communities yeah Yeah. And, and what did that transition kind of feel like then coming out of the the media world and moving into that first role with cdp um what what did that role look like and and how did that transition feel it brought a wonderful sense
0: of stability it was like i have a a permanent contract i'm not a freelancer anymore and i'm not you know i have i can plan holidays and i can um work on something um you know for a prolonged period rather than when you're making a program and i was lucky i had you know months to make programs not a day like when you work in news but um it so it, the lifestyle change and the stability that it brought, which was something that I was looking for, was fantastic from a personal perspective. I went to do their um, communication. So, you know, bringing kind of, you know, skills as a journalist, but, you know, sitting kind of on the other side of the fence, as it were, and also um, fundraising and sponsorships, which I'd never done before. I didn't have a clue how to do it, but um, um, I was lucky that that bit went went really well. And um it was great. I mean, I was so, I, it was a wonderful team, very small team. And there were about 10 of us when, when I started there. And now I think there's, you know, several hundred people working there. Um, and it was, you know, so, so everybody there was there because they had a genuine belief that, uh, and a gen, you know, genuine motivation that they wanted to um do something about climate change. So it was it was a, a real purpose-led team and that, that made it really exciting as well.
1: Yeah, fantastic. And and how long was it that you were there before you kind of met the other co-founders of Geeky and, and and developed that idea?
0: Well I already knew the co-founder of Geeky because he's my husband. So. <laughs> <laughs> so I had already met him um but i was at cdp for probably uh 5 or 6 years i'd say and then actually then i had children so i had uh one mm. child and then went back part time for you know literally a matter of months before i then stopped permanently because i was pregnant with the second one and um and i just i felt um i felt that because of the situation that me and my husband were in that um he was under had a very high high pressure job, and I felt that if we both had high pressure jobs, actually, you know, wouldn't be wouldn't be good for the family dynamic. And so, and I I was fortunate to be able to say, okay, I'm going to stop for a bit and actually, you know, look after the kids. Um, so I did that for um, probably three years, uh, three or four years. But mm-hmm. while I was doing that, I did various other um, projects like the the um, being a trustee for um, and this one again a wonderful wonderful social enterprise that helped long term unemployed people um, get back into work through landscape gardening it was yeah a really great idea and run by a couple of really great guys and um, and then and also actually I wrote started writing a kids book which is still sitting on my computer on climate change which has never seen the light of day but it kept my sanity when I had uh, babies oh, and, um, and yeah it was uh, it was uh, although it's never seen the light of day I'm glad I did it
1: yeah and it may do one day. Watch this You space. never
0: know. You never know if I can find it on some uh, old computer in the cupboard that probably doesn't turn on anymore.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. And so, how long after having your second child then did you wait before you set the business up? And, and when did that decision between the two of you come to think, right? Let's let's do this. Um, I so it
0: was when um, my youngest daughter went to school actually. So um, we'd been mulling over for quite some time, and at CDP I'd always been um, really interested in the role of the individual, and had talked quite a lot to mm-hmm. to my then boss Paul Dickinson about you know can we what can we do f- with the individual, and and CDP wasn't really the right organisation for that. Um, but I was more and more struck by the fact that people, in just general conversations, would refer to climate change and environmental problems and how concerned they were. but you know, I don't know what to do, where can I start i'm you know I'm really worried, but you know what can I do about it and and that combined with this feeling of I want to create something that can have a real meaningful impact um And and being at a stage in life where I was lucky to have had some really great work experience, but also, um, you know, it was kind of now or never, really. You know, I was at the age when there's no more dreaming. You know, it's like this is it. You got to do it. Um, So so we did, and um, yeah, that was that. Yeah, we we set up in 2017 officially, although I've been working on it for couple of years you know very much part-time before then um you know just sort of in you know evenings and weekends and um and initially actually started with something very different to what we've got now which is so often the case with uh with um when you're setting something up i think
1: yeah and when did when did your husband make the leap did he Was it you to start off with, and he was still working full time, and then he jumped in, or did you? We actually,
0: uh, so he he made the leap at that. So we kind of made the official decision that we were going to do it. I think when it happened to coincide with when our youngest daughter went to school, Um, Mm -hmm. but he had been working on it. very you know kind of evenings and weekends and i think he may have even been part-time a bit at the end of his of his previous career so it was kind of gradual but it was yeah. so he left his job officially which was you know a lot to give up he'd been at the same firm for 17 years and you know really you know loved what he loved the firm and and it was you know somewhere where he had you know had a really positive impact and um so I, yeah it was a, for him it was actually a bigger decision than it was for me because I wasn't I wasn't in a job then so um but we just thought you know what's the worst that can happen might as well give it a crack and I'm so glad we
1: did yeah so five years later here you are yeah, exactly. and what what was that first iteration of the business like are you happy to share that what what yeah. how different was it to what it is today
0: yeah, no, absolutely. Well, it still exists actually. So we created a, a native a, an app um, mm-hmm. called Geeky Badges, which mm-hmm. enabled it. It worked in the UK only, um, and was um, and still exists today under a different name, um, which um, enables you to work out when you're in a supermarket or when you're buying supermarket products how sustainable, healthy, and ethical they are. So you just scan the barcode, and it would tell you how a product performs against a whole mm-hmm. different range of indicators or criteria criteria? you know like is it a healthier option does it have palm oil in is it sustainably sourced what's the packaging you know is it
1: Mm.
0: better what we called better packaging and people loved it and kids particularly loved it actually and it was um It was great, and it it was—it was—we learned so much um, because neither of us really, you know, had any much tech experience. Although James had been a tech analyst in his very early career, but um, it uh, hadn't—you know—wasn't our area of expertise. But um, so we learned a huge amount, and also enabled us to, you know, work out what 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 people really want in terms of. information and and what nudges work to encourage behavior change and um, but it, it we always felt this isn't going to have the impact that we want and actually we want to look at the entirety of people's lifestyle because um while shopping in a supermarket is a part of uh, our environmental impact it's you know only a relatively small part across across the you know across everything that we do so that was where the idea for Kiki Zero was kind of born that, you know, what can we do to help people across the entirety of their lifestyle um, understand and then make changes that are better mm-hmm. for the environment? And and we, we um, realized very early that people needed to do that as part, or it's best to do that as part of a community, because we're, 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 you know, that's what motivates us, and we're much more likely to take action if we are doing it as part of our community in the workplaces, often one of our biggest communities. Um, So, so we then built... We built Geeky Zero, first of all, for the individual and and we'll always have the individual free version because we don't want there to be any barrier to entry for people who want to take action. Um, But then alongside that, we've built a pro version which enables um, companies or indeed any organization to team up with leaderboards and competitions and assessing their, their achievements together and lots of challenges. And we also run a whole engagement program alongside it to help with that long-term um, embedding it within everything that they're doing and, and, you know, helping feed that. That that becomes really a key part of sustainability strategies. Um, and that was in the beginning of lockdown that we okay. launched. So. That was uh, made for interesting times, but oh, yeah. I think we just, you know, you just, you have to just keep going. And actually, I'm, you know, I'm really glad we did. There was no reason, particularly, particularly because it was all online, that we mm. that we shouldn't just progress with our with our plans to get it out there.
1: And in those kind of those first first year or so of the business, what? What kind of skills were or yourself and James both bringing to the table from your backgrounds and your histories, and how quickly was it before you realised you needed to bring other people in to kind of complement those skills?
0: Um, so we're fortunate, and I'm sure this means makes it easier to work with your with your other half. That we have very very different skills. So um, I think what what I learned as a journalist, and then when I worked at CDP, and and also with with, with Uh, the charity Streetscape. Um, The skills there were were about, um, you know, how you communicate to people in a way that's compelling for them. How do you, how do you, how do you turn very complex information into something that actually makes people want to engage with it and do something about it? Um, but James is all about the data, and is never happier than when in a spreadsheet. So, um, so he did. He's our data scientists, and I'm out to you know make it make it um, accessible, real, meaningful for people, um, and and so that they can they can take action on it. And that's, I think that that. That proved to be a really good combination, but it became clear. so. We worked with a great um, development agency in um, in Bristol to start with, called Simple Web. So they built um, geeky badges for us. But we, it became, you know, we I think as as I'm sure very often happens, we wanted to bring some of those skills in house, and we were lucky to find our first developer. We'd been looking for ages and ages, and we found him, and he's still with us, and he's just. You know, amazing, and you know, but was built geeky zero basically with with James, and or well, you know, he did all the all the development. James did all the data work, and um, yeah, I mean, and then it, it kind of grew from there. But certainly, you know, the development side and the tech mm-hmm. side with the skills that very quickly it was clear that um, I certainly do not have, and wow. James can code a bit, but you know, we we uh, we. We felt that those were the skills that we needed to bring in first.
1: Yeah, no, That makes absolute sense. And great that you've got such complementary skill sets between the two of you. Then almost opposing, but incredibly complementary for, mm. for the business. So, yeah, brilliant. Um, and how's it been? I'm sure everybody asks you this. Business and marriage. How, how difficult is it to kind of work with your husband?
0: We're actually very, very fortunate that it's great. And, you know, sometimes we disagree, but that's fine you know that's that's what you need to do and you just talk through and you know i think it's um that's that's the nature of life that people have different opinions and actually that's what helps us get to a good end end conclusion and and you know pathway that you know you can challenge each other when you'd have a different perspective or a different understanding of a situation but yeah i mean we're really fortunate that um that it works brilliantly, and um, I think I think having a co-founder is so important because mm. it's difficult and um, and it's intense, and you have lots of ups and downs. You know, all the cliches are true, and um, and it means that at the end of every week, we always try and celebrate a success, however oh. small, because you know there are lots of lots of road bumps along the way, and and I think um, yeah, being able to to have somebody to share that with, who in my case also happens to be my husband, but um, is it's really important because I think if you do it on your own, it's probably quite lonely.
1: Yeah, I read somewhere before I started my business, I read a quote that said, setting up on your own is 49% the hardest thing you'll ever do and 51% the best thing you'll ever do. So I think I've found that to be true. I don't know if you have, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean,
0: it's yeah, I think I, I I love it. It works brilliantly at the stage in life that I'm at. But mm-hmm. um, I can imagine, yeah, it very much depends on where you're at in your life, I think, as to whether it whether it's right for you. Yeah,
1: no, absolutely. Uh, like you said, when you've uh, when you've run out of options, run out of reasons to say no, it's time to do it. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I found. Um, and so you you evolved the business then and kind of pivoted. You know, or I suppose didn't pivot, but added in the geeky zero pro element. Um, like you said, just around around twenty twenty around the pandemic hitting. Um, that sounds like quite a big challenge to overcome. So what did that look like in action? How difficult was that to overcome? And and what did you kind of what strategies I suppose did you implement to kind of get that off the ground at such a tough time?
0: Yeah it was really interesting I mean we've been fortunate before the pandemic so in the September I think before we'd already got a um, kind of beta version of the individual version. So, me and our, uh, our only developer at that time went off to the Eden Project, actually, to do – they had a big sustainability event and were really excited about what, what we were building. So, we ran a series of workshops throughout that day of people who wanted to come and understand their carbon footprint, and it was fascinating because – when you're building technology, and I'm sure it's a case when you're building anything, you you want to see how your people who it's targeting or who it's built for respond to it, and you know whether mm-hmm. it does what you want it to do. So that was a really really useful exercise, and we were lucky after that to be able to do various sessions like that in the months up to the, the Christmas before um, before the pandemic hit. Um, so we were we were fortunate that we were confident that what we were building had had um, a lot of user input Mm -hmm. and we, you know, made some changes and it evolved it such that we thought it would, you know, we we were giving it the best possible chance for it to do what we wanted it to do. So then I think we were due to launch the pro version. No, we, no, that's right. We were launching the individual version in April of when lockdown had come in the March Um, and we ummed and ahed about it and we were actually doing Mm -hmm. some some of these sessions with some schools locally in London because we were in London at that stage and some of those started going virtual Mm because this this particular school that we were doing quite a lot with the lady who was running it the teacher was so dynamic and she was not to be stopped by the fact that we couldn't do things face to face so we ran a few virtual sessions and you know this was before virtual was really the thing and they went really well and we thought. Look, this is a digital platform. There's no reason why, with Zoom and Teams and whatever, you know, there were all sorts of uh, different platforms popping up at that stage, weren't there? That we can't do it, most of what we want to do online. Yeah. And so we we kept on going with our with our launch plans, and I think it actually, I don't think that, although we did things differently because we were in a pandemic i don't think it really had a particularly negative impact on where we where we are today um and because because it is now possible to talk to people virtually just like we are and you know run sessions and we run lots and lots of virtual sessions and sometimes we do face to face ones but we've done way more virtual so mm. you kind of design your your um your offering um with the tools that you have in hand so I think it's it actually was um, it forced us down a path which we probably wouldn't have gone down otherwise and doing everything virtually but that actually you know had some advantages because you could mm-hmm meet more people more quickly and yeah. you know you, you can have many more meetings in a day and so it, it's um, I think we were fortunate because it was all digital that that it wasn't it wasn't too much of a barrier for us.
1: I suppose from a, a B2B perspective and, and in terms of companies wanting to use something like this and embed something like this to get their employees engaged actually at a time when everybody's remote and building culture and building engagement amongst a team is front of their mind then actually it was it was probably quite a nice sell to them at that time as another way to get their team engaged
0: yeah i think that's right and definitely there was a real that i'd say probably a couple of months in there was a real concern about how do you maintain the culture and how do you Mm. how do you keep people motivated and i think this this played an important role in that sense for some organizations and i think that um we we often had during the pandemic and I still do sometimes have calls like this when people come you know working with clients or or people who you know were just sort of planning to become clients um where we where they they say oh this I I was so pleased to see this in my diary this is my best meeting of the day and because if you care about sustainability um focusing on it makes you makes you feel good yeah. Um, particularly in the way that that we approach it, that, you know, we are all important and we do all have a role to play and we can all make a difference. And um, so I think that that was a big that was a that was a big factor as well. You're right. Yeah.
1: yeah. I think also just individuals at home on that, the kind of the free version and not the individual version. I think people had the headspace to think about things bigger than them didn't they and and I think all of a sudden when everybody went into lockdown and there were fewer cars on the road people started growing vegetables in their back gardens I think people's awareness and desire to want to live a little bit more sustainably actually start I think that gap between intention and action very slightly shrunk during the pandemic
0: Yeah, Um, yeah, definitely. I think that's right. We did some research actually, a kind of um, you know, poll of a few few thousand people, and it really did highlight that. That's and then there were you know, there were a number of polls that showed that same, those same outcomes that people felt closer to nature as a result and more vulnerable Mm -hmm. because it was clear that many things were beyond our control and so felt that they wanted to preserve what we had what we have
1: yeah yeah interesting and so so up to the point where you are today what would you say over this last kind of five years your biggest challenges have have been business wise yeah from a business
0: perspective <laughs> i would say um finding great people is yeah. is sometimes very challenging and we are lucky now we have a fantastic team um but it you know takes time to get there Mm. um building a culture totally virtually is Mm. takes a different approach so we're dotted all over the country and and that's great and it suits i think it suits everybody you know but we and we meet up you know several times a year and then some some teams meet up a bit more you know much more regularly but that 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 is a challenge. Fundraising is always a challenge, so I, I probably won't dwell on that too long because it probably comes up in every single call. Yeah. Um, but it's yeah. I mean that yeah. And and I mean we were fortunate again that we we did um we've done a few rounds and um, have had you know have got some really fantastic um, social impact investors who really really believe in what we're doing, um, but. We closed our last round before the bottom fell out of the funding market. And if we were fundraising now, I'd be you know really concerned because it's, yeah, it's not well, it's it's not a good environment to be fundraising in at the moment. so um, so that is always a challenge. I'd say, um, building from from what we've done that I think I'm really pleased that we've done although sometimes it was, you know, it's been challenging is always getting the foundations right. So making sure that everything's got a process and everything's built so that you can scale it. So even if sometimes um, it's tempting to go off and do, you know, just experiment, try something over here, we could do that at the beginning, but you can't do that after a time when you've got a bigger team and, you know, everybody needs to, kind of know what know how things work and what's going on you can't keep on doing new stuff and keep on experimenting and actually it's obviously you want to evolve and and you know improve all the time um i think having always been very focused on building the right foundations so that we're so that we're ready for scale um you know in whatever areas that we decide to, to 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 um to focus on that um that then means that you can't. Um, you 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 need to stay on the, stay on the track once you mm. once you've decided on your track and having having changed already from geeky badges to geeky zero, which was absolutely the right thing to do. Um, it's then like okay, you know this 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 is the solution that we believe in is going to deliver what we want to deliver in terms of helping individuals take action on climate and helping. Build that into the broader um, uh, solu- solution to climate change. Because I think traditionally it's been there's been an expectation that policy will deliver and solve the problem, or businesses will. Um, and we only have to look at COP27 to see that governments aren't able to at the moment for a multitude of different reasons. So it falls upon every as every element of society, and we're obviously an crucial part of that as individuals
1: yeah okay so um pick a lane then and and hone it and get excellent at that that thing that you've decided to kind of focus in on and that piece you said about the the hiring of great people being a big challenge and then once they're in building a, a great remote working culture I think they're kind of two of the most universal challenges perhaps amongst startups today and clearly you've done something right on both of those things given that you're first developer is still with you five years four years later um so have you got any tips about what you think you did well on both of those elements both around attracting of good people and then building and nurturing that culture to retain them
0: um i think being very clear on what our values are and making sure we stick to them mm. and are and very transparent about them i think those that's really important um and you know Many, quite a few of our colleagues come from the commercial sector, where the value systems can be quite different. Um, right. And although we're a B corporation, and so we are, we are a business with, you know, mission and social purpose are absolutely paramount to us. Um, so I think, yeah, kind of embedding that that culture and our values and our expectations around that from the beginning is really really important. Um, Spending time with people at the beginning, you know, mm-hmm. training. Training is crucial, and um, and and it never really stops. And you know, me and James give each other advice on what we think we can do better, and um, and it, you know, it, it's it, it's ongoing. And I think mm-hmm. making sure that we make time for that is really really important. Um, and I think hiring people who. Are the right fit as well is really important. Who can cope with uh, working from home and not having the kind of office banter and office support and all that all that that brings that that that's not that the kind of virtual working is not right for everybody by any means. No. And I think working that out is is really important because people need to feel comfortable in yeah, in the conditions that that we're in. It needs to need to like them. So, you know, we've got quite quite a few people who are parents, so it works well with, you know, having that very flexible workspace. And we've also got some um, quite – sure what word i'd use to describe and we have some really interesting i'd say environmental policies so for okay. example we've got an, a no-fly policy so even though we're we have uh, clients in different parts of the world mm-hmm. um and geeky zero works anywhere in the world we never get on an airplane so right. that has you know it makes means you work differently um if if colleagues want to take a, um, a train for a holiday rather than a flight. They get extra holiday. They get green admin days. Um, we get, you know, if you want to go on a climate demo, you get days off for that. So there are lots of kind of pieces of the, that, that kind of feeds into that cultural piece that we really, um, it's ingrained in us. And and I think as a result, all of our colleagues are um you know in often in very different ways and they have different interest areas but sustainability is really really important to them and that's yeah. that's why they work
1: at geeky yeah that's really great to really embed those values in the benefits and and yeah and what's the green admin day
0: Oh, so if you want to change to renewable electricity, for example, or you want to—although um, that that shouldn't take you the whole, a whole day—but um, I, I think I certainly, you know, sometimes these things take longer than you think. Or, you know, setting up your garden compost, or you know, things yeah. that are things that are going to help you reduce your carbon footprint, basically. Nice.
1: For me, it's trips to my local refill barn. Exactly, I'm going to take my, out of my day to go and do that. Yeah, exactly. Perfect. Yeah. Cool, I love it. So, where are you at today? Give us a snapshot of where Geeky is today, headcount, clients, platform. What, what does it look like today?
0: Yeah, so we have um, 12, sort um, 12, 12, 13, 14 colleagues. Some of them are contractors, um, you know, some work full-time, some work part-time. Um, we have, yeah, people all over the country now, actually. So, yeah, in, well, not in Northern Ireland, but in Scotland, yeah. Wales, and England. Um And we have around 60 or 70 organizations now using Geeky Zero um, who range from, you know, very small, sort Mm -hmm. of under 50 employees, right through to tens or in some cases, hundreds of thousands of employees. Um, And in terms of the kind of companies that we work with, so we work at, at, at some of our, you know, sort of, Vanguard uh, clients that we first started working with, uh, um, people like NatWest Group, um, Deloitte. We also work with Adobe, um, work with Big U.S. Bank, um, we work with the BBC. um, So, real range, University of York, for example, real range of organizations um, who who have, you know, different priorities and different um, different, um, kind of high-level aims but The essence for for all of them is our people are really important, and we need to um, help them think about think about climate and sustainability, um, because that's that's really important to us as an organisation. And you know why it's important varies varies from organisation to organisation, but but for all of them, they recognise that. their people are a crucial part of of the solution to climate yeah. change, and they want to help help um, accelerate that, which is really exciting. And I think that organisations are such important communities in our in modern society. And actually, have a really, really important role to play in educating, influencing, um, normalising mm. sustainable thinking and and sustainable mindsets, um, so that it just becomes part of life, mm. which and part of decision making. Which you know, in some some kind of pockets of society and pockets of business, it is, but it needs to be mainstream for us to solve the the crisis that we're facing.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I've had a few conversations with people over the last day or so about this. And yeah, one of the things somebody said to me today is every job should be a sustainable job. You know, every, every organization should be sustainable and every role should have sustainability built into it. Um, I went for a coffee yesterday with with a chap we placed in a role about four weeks ago. And his, his first move into the sustainability sector. And he said the biggest thing has been that mindset shift of not just how do I do this thing, but how do I do this thing and how do I do it sustainably? Because it was that last piece that he never had to think about in his previous role. And actually, why not? Because, you know, every company should be encouraging their employees to not just think, how do I do this? But how do I do this sustainably? Um, So, yeah, it sounds like Geeky is the solution to that. Perfect. Um, And so what are the, you mentioned you closed a funding round fairly recently. So congratulations. What do the next 12 months Look like for Geeky then, and and how do you plan to be using that funding to kind of further evolve the business? Yeah, so I think that, that
0: although there are always things that we want to improve, enhance, um, build on, um, now so much of it is just about executing on the plans that we have, um, and I think that 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 in many ways is a is a really Exciting and liberating place to be in. That we know that there are always, like any organisation, things that we want to improve and 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 yeah, tweak. But actually, we know that what we've got, clients love. Um, and you know, we talk to companies who put us through, you know, quite complex um, procurement processes. Who've looked at, you know, what what else is out there, and the feedback we get consistently is. You guys are great and we really want to work with you. And um, so, now it's about continuing to deliver on that and, and reaching more and more people so that we can help individuals be part of this, this crucial solution. And and if we look at um, greenhouse gas emissions globally, the majority come from – on, on an individual basis, on a per capita basis, from wealthy countries, so the carbon footprint in wealthy nations is about ten tons per person per year, whereas globally, on average, it's five tons. Um, and if you compare, you know, the top one percent, they might have a you know footprint of over a hundred tons. So it's what can we do to help those people understand the benefits of? For themselves, and more importantly, for the world, um, of sustainable choices, um, and I think you know, for us, that's sort of front and centre of, of everything that we do, um, because that feeds into their own lifestyles, but also often, you know, professional influence as well. If you if you're if you're wealthy, you often have have professional influence and are able to to drive change in many different ways, and I think it's about helping people understand why sustainable choices have many additional benefits above and beyond saving the world. Um,
1: (laughs) 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 Very good. Okay, so focus then on execute, scale and really maximise the impact that you can have through the app. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, Yeah, and and the sort
0: of broader programme that we offer alongside it, which is really important as well. Yeah.
1: Okay. Amazing. Well, that's brilliant. I always round off by asking three quick fire questions, if you don't mind. So, what would be your top piece of advice for somebody who was thinking about setting up their own business?
0: I would say look at whether you have the skills to do it, um, and if you don't, bring in somebody else or some others to help you um, or, or skill up. I'd say that's Mm. really important. Um, I'd say build the foundations, strong foundations, even if it takes longer, are also really important. Um, And only do it if you really care about it, Mm. because on the dark days, you need to really care.
1: Yeah. Good advice. I like it. And which business Or sustainability role model, do you wish you could just have one hour with?
0: I always admire Patagonia, um, the the clothing company, um, because they, they, they live sustainability in terms of the way they produce their products. They've also bought up huge tracts of land in South America to, um, to, to for wildlife corridors to preserve wildlife. But recently, they went even higher in my estimation when all the money was handed on to good causes. Um, You know, it was not about making money. And what a wonderful, refreshing perspective from a very successful business. Um, So, I would say they're they're one of, you know, each time I read about them, it just makes me feel good. It's like if the world was made up of businesses like that, it would be a very different world.
1: It would. I I always remember their campaign from, what was it, 2015, 2016, that don't buy this jacket. (laughs) You probably don't need it. (laughs) Very good. Okay. And what is one quick lifestyle change that you could recommend to listeners to help them live more sustainably? Just one little thing they could do.
0: I would say if you're thinking of notwithstanding the current energy crisis, but renewable electricity is probably one of the um, easiest big impact steps that people can take. But also, just working out where you can have an impact, a positive impact, and that's different for everybody. So try Geeky Zero, and it will tell you very quickly, and yeah. it's free.
1: Available okay, on both. Apple App Store and on yeah the store. and
0: and a, um, a web app as well actually so you can get it on your in, oh. on your browser yeah
1: okay perfect lovely that's great well thank you so much for joining me that's been really interesting to hear your journey um, and setting up a business with your husband and how you've made that work overcoming the challenges of a pandemic um, and you know hopefully the future will bring some really exciting things for Geeky as you continue to scale thank you so much for sharing that with us Thank
0: you so much. Really good to meet you. Thank you for inviting you me. Care, Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye.
1: Thank you for listening. Please follow the show to be noted of all future episodes. We've also saved videos of all of our interviews over on the Above and Beyond YouTube channel. Check out the show notes to find the links to this and links to all of the resources mentioned on today's show. See you next week.